0: Uh, good evening, brothers and sisters in the faith. We're excited to share with you the answers from the Holy Bible to questions that you ask. Of course, if you have questions that you want to ask us, uh, please send the questions to info at assemblyofyahusha.org. At the end of this program, we will show you the, uh, the email again so that you can present your questions to us so that we can answer them. Okay. Now, let's go ahead and go to the first question of the evening. And the question is, goes like this. Hello, Paul. Is it okay to use marijuana and other natural psychedelics recreationally? Of course, with minimal dosage. It's called micro dosing. The right knowledge and also if you won't abuse it. I don't use these, by the way. I'm just curious. Of course, we believe you don't use this. All right. But for those who are wondering, is marijuana Medical marijuana, natural psychedelics, can it be used recreationally? I think off the top of your head, you probably know the answer already, right? What do you think the answer is? No, No. we do not use recreational drugs. We do not use marijuana. Now, what are recreational drugs and natural psychedelics in the first place? Well, according to the Alcohol and Drug Foundation, what are psychedelics? Psychedelics, also known as hallucinogens, are a class of psychoactive substances that produce changes in perception, mood, and cognitive processes. Psychedelics affect all the senses, altering a person's thinking, sense of time, and emotions. They can also cause a person to hallucinate, seeing or hearing things that do not exist or are distorted. There are many different kinds of psychedelics, Some occur naturally in trees, vines, seeds, fungi, and leaves. Others are made in laboratories. Now, of course, the Holy Bible doesn't flat out and categorically say you cannot use psychedelics. You cannot find a passage like that. You cannot use marijuana. You cannot use these different drugs that some people know about. However, the reason why we believe the Bible frowns and forbids us from using psychedelics and drugs for recreational use is because of its effect. What are the effects of psychedelics and other known recreational drugs? Well, according to this website, and I think we also know this, it produces changes in perception, in mood and cognitive processes. So it affects our thinking. It affects our mood to the point that we begin to see things that are not there and hear things that are not there. And so it begins to kind of alter our mind. It changes us and causes us to believe in things that are not really there. These are called delusions. And so because of these effects that the drug has on the human body and the human psyche, We need to, we are now able to see whether or not the Bible condones such usages. According to a map chart of uh, the effects of psychedelics, it increases body temperature, loss of coordination, hallucinations, distorted perceptions, disorganized thoughts. And so even when it comes to natural psychedelics, like magic mushrooms, have you heard of magic mushrooms? They are toxins to the body, and so it has an adverse effect on the human body, and it also causes a lot of the cognitive impairments that we find people who overdo these drugs. Now, why do we believe the Bible is against the people of God from using recreational drugs? Let's read the book of First Peter, uh, first Corinthians rather, 15. And the verse is 34. This is written away to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Why does the Bible teach against the use of recreational drugs? Apostle Paul speaking to the Corinthians. And the Corinthians, by the way, were kind of notorious for living their life according to the flesh. This is why Apostle Paul reminds them about behaviors that can disqualify them from inheriting the kingdom of heaven. And so Apostle Paul speaks to them and says to them, awake to righteousness. You see, if a person is taking drugs, how is he or she be awake to righteousness? And so Apostle Paul is teaching here. And he says to those who are not awake to righteousness, To become awake to righteousness, so I speak this to your shame. Now, when we look at the word awake to righteousness, the word awake in Greek is what word? Well, if we look at the Blue Letter Bible, our favorite website, it corresponds to the Greek uh, word eknepho, Greek word 1594, which means what? It basically means to return to oneself from drunkenness, become sober. And if you look at Strong's definition at the bottom, it is to rouse oneself out of stupor. And so when a person is in a state of stupor, he needs to be awoken from that state so that he or she can know the difference between right and wrong. This is why Apostle Paul says, "Awake." To righteousness, we need to be sober-minded so that we can know the difference between the will of God and that which is not the will of God. Have you ever spoken to a person who's drunk before? Do you think they know the difference between right and wrong? Probably not. In fact, they're probably going to do things that that will cause them to regret what they did later on, right? They make foolish decisions. Because they are in a state of stupor. What does that mean? Definition of stupor, a condition of greatly dulled or completely suspended sense of sensibility. We cannot observe the righteousness of God if we are in a state of stupor. This is why we need to wake up from that state. We need to be clear minded. So what is the warning of Apostle Paul against those who are drunk? Those who get drunk either by liquor or by drugs. The book of Galatians 5, 19 and 21, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so one form of drunkenness is getting high on drugs. And when you get high on drugs and you get drunk and you keep practicing this, the Bible says you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So it tells us it's not something that we must Practice, and there's a word here used by Apostle Paul that he categorizes as one of the acts of the sinful nature, it's called witchcraft. How many here practice witchcraft? Because when you think about witchcraft, you kind of dabble into black magic, and all of a sudden, some kind of evil spirit gets a hold of you in other translations of the Bible instead of witchcraft. The word sorcery is used. Again, the same idea applies some kind of delving into black magic, being possessed by a demon or an evil spirit. And so you're being controlled by other forces. And so this is an act of the sinful nature, witchcraft. Interestingly, though, when you look at witchcraft and the Greek word that's used, do you know what we find? In the next slide, we read witchcraft. The Greek word is pharmakeia. Pharmakeia. Does that sound familiar? Pharmakeia. What can that be? Greek word 5331. What does that mean? Pharmakeia. The use of administering of drugs, poisoning, deceptions. You see, when one uses recreational drugs, psychedelic drugs, it causes you to see things that are not there. It causes you to, be, to to hear things that are not there. In other words, it's one way of deceiving yourself as a way of escape. But it's poisoning your mind through the use of drugs. This is why you dump that in together. You put it in one word. It's called witchcraft. Isn't that interesting? This is why when we think about drugs, we can associate that to sorcery and witchcraft but brother i'm not going to get enough to get me into that kind of state i'm only going to take a micro dose right it has no effect on me and so are we allowed then to take a micro dose of recreational drugs so that we are not going to end up abusing it and getting the high effect of using drugs well this is what the bible says in ephesians 4 27 don't give the devil a Chance, why will you even use a micro dose if you don't want to get high in the first place? Doesn't make any sense. If you use a micro dose, guess what you're doing? You're giving who a chance? The devil. Do you think he'll take that chance? Yeah, he's gonna take that opportunity. That micro dose, you say, he's gonna use that opportunity to destroy your life. Do you believe drugs destroy? Yes. It will destroy your life physically, mentally. It will destroy your pocketbook. It will destroy your spiritual life. It will destroy your relationships, your family. And guess what, people who get hooked on drugs, how do they look physically? Do they look like, wow, she's beautiful. Oh, he's handsome. They don't have the look, right? You can tell when someone is using drugs and you wanna keep away from people like that. And so should we use drugs? No. Why? It's against the will of God. It's against the teachings of our Father. And what furthermore proves that we should never touch drugs, even if it's only with a micro dose. Let's read the book of Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is is in you, whom you have received from God? You were not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And so before you take that dose of drugs, which which is toxic to the body, you need to ask for God's permission first, right? This is why you should pray for that. Father, this drug I'm going to take, can I take it into my body? What do you think God will say? No way. Why should we ask God if, whether or not we can bring some of this stuff into our body? This is because our body no longer belongs to us. Why? We have been redeemed by God. What did he use to redeem us? The blood of his son. He purchased us with a price. This is why we don't own our body. It belongs to God. And so what gets into our body should be that which honors God. And so drugs, psychedelics, that does not honor God. It dishonors God. So what should we do? As members of the assembly of Yahushua, when someone presents us, someone tempts us, just try a little bit. Come on, be one of us. What should we say? Let's read what it says in Titus two twelve to 14. It teaches us to say no to drugs. No, in this case, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness, including drugs, right? Say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great and savior, savior, Yahusha Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And so... What should we do when we are surrounded by people who find it normal to do recreational drugs? Because nowadays, whether we like to admit it or not, drugs are everywhere, high school, junior high school, college, and so people wanna get high. You you watch TV, you watch the movies, you think it's okay to try it. Brethren, do not even experiment. Bible says say no to that, why? That's because we have been redeemed from all wickedness. Yahusha died for us. And so while we, when we when he died for us, we can hope for the salvation of God. So we're waiting for Yahusha to return. However, we have something to do while we wait for Yahusha to return. What is that? We know to go, we need to go through a process of purification. Yahusha wants to purify us so that we only do that which is good. Drugs are no good. And we know Yahusha is coming back and he does not want that his people are doing drugs. And so before judgment day comes, before Yahusha returns, what should be our focus? First Peter 4.7, the end of all things is near. Therefore be clear-minded and self controlled so that you can pray how can we be clear-minded if we are in a state of stupor or drunken highness because of drugs? It prevents us not only from knowing the righteousness of God, it prevents us from praying well to our God. And so before what before we wait for Yehusha's return what should be our goal? Thessalonians 5:23 may God himself. The God of peace sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Yahusha Christ. And so we have a responsibility to Yahusha our King to preserve, to, to keep blameless our whole spirit, soul, and body. In other words, we need to make sure our mind, our body, our spirit, and soul, it is kept Prepare for the coming of Yahusha the Christ. Why? Why must we always be preparing ourselves for the coming of Yahusha our King? 2 Peter 3.13-14, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and At peace with him. Apostle Peter tells us concerning the upcoming new heavens and the new earth. How many here believe we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth? I think we all do, right? Do you really believe that? Are we really placing our hope so that we are looking forward to new heavens and a new earth? Because if we are, we won't even try drugs. Do you know why people try drugs? It's because they're bored. What do they want to feel? They want to feel pleasure. They're bored with life Maybe they want to escape. In other words, the reason why people try drugs is because they are sick and tired of their present reality and they're looking for a better one. However, drugs are not the answer. What's the answer? The answer is the home of righteousness. What is that? The new heavens and the new earth. You see, as people redeemed by Yahusha's blood, we have this eager desire, this drive to be with God and his son in heaven. So much so that we leave behind worldly passions. And so what do we do? We make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. So we need to be spotless and blameless. I think drugs is a big spot. And so we must never think of engaging in drugs and intoxicating drinks. So we are addressing also the young members of the assembly. If we are involved with people who take drugs or use drugs, I think we should sever those relationships. Because our character can be easily corrupted by bad character, right? And so we need to keep away. Don't give the devil a chance. That also applies when it comes to developing or forming friendships. And so we need to be proactive when it comes to protecting ourselves from drugs, even at micro doses. I hope that's clear to everyone. So no, no, and no. We must not even think about using or taking psychedelics and recreational drugs. Okay, all right. Next question, Brother John, could you please discuss 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 10? For my understanding, the brethren from Macedonia beg Apostle Paul if they could help the brethren in Judea. Gladly. Let's talk about 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 10. Let's read 1 to 3. Our friends, we want you to know what God's grace has accomplished in the churches in Macedonia. They have been severely tested by the troubles they went through. But their joy was so great that they were extremely generous in their giving, even though they are very poor. I can assure you that they gave as much as they could and even more than they could of their own free will. And so Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians, because at this point there was this collection taking place to help the brethren in Judea because there are people there suffering from famine. And so the followers of Yahushua decided, let's go send some help to the brethren there in Judea. And so the Corinthians uh, were able to find, you know, they heard about this. And so they wanted to give. Apostle Paul wanted to inspire them. And so guess what? What did they do? Because they wanted to inspire the Corinthian churches. They talked about the churches in Macedonia. Take a look at what the Macedonians did. And so what was noteworthy about the church in Macedonia? Bible says they were very poor, right? Not only are they very poor, they were also severely tested by the troubles they went through. Can you imagine that? They were very poor and they were going through severe tests in their life, but even though that was their circumstance, what were they able to do? Bible says They were generous in their giving, not only that, that they gave as much as they could, even more than they could. You can imagine this might be a favorite passage of pastors or religious teachers when they want to inspire the brethren to give offering, right? There's nothing wrong with reading this passage to the brethren so that they can be inspired to give offering. However, we have to be careful. Why? What do you think was the cause for the Macedonians to give, even though they were poor, to give, even though they were severely tested, to give even more than they could? What inspired them? If you look closely, it is the God, the grace of God. It's what God's grace has accomplished. You see, brethren, if we want to inspire the brethren to give, We need to pray to God. It is by God's grace that God's people will give. What's the proof? That the brethren in Macedonia gave out of God's grace. Because if you read verse 5 or verse 4 rather, it says they begged us and pleaded for the privilege of having a part in helping God's people in Judea. That's the proof they gave because of God's Grace, they did not give because they were forced to give because you it it, sometimes you can use a passage enough times and in such a way so that you are kind of forcing people to give. The Macedonians, they were begging for the, the privilege of being able to help God's people in Judea. And so there was no need to beg them. There was no need to ask them. They gave out of their own free will because what was at work in their heart? The grace of God. And so when people give because God's grace is activated in their life, that's the kind of giving we want to see. And so that we are able to give in a way that pleases God, what does Apostle Paul remind us? We read 8.4. Let's read now nine seven. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a, per- a person who gives cheerfully. And so when we give, we should give with a cheerful heart, right? What we must not give in response to pressure. Here's my question for you. When does a person give because of pressure? When you keep repeating the same command over and over and over and over again. What happens? You're forcing that brother or that sister to give, right? And if they give in response to pressure, that's not the grace of God. That's the use of words to coerce a person to give. We must never practice that in the assembly of Yahusha. We need to give in such a way so that we become cheerful givers, not givers who respond to pressure. Let's go to the next question. Is it all right for a religion to have business? Ooh, fishy, fishy. What will be the consequence if they mix business with religion? Well, according to the Holy Scriptures, well, my question, you know, about a religion that also has a business, you know, my question is, why do you need a business? Right. Because. According to the Holy Scripture, according to Apostle Paul, the needs of God's people, how are they satisfied financially? Let's read the book of 2 Corinthians 9, 11, 13. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The service, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. According to Apostle Paul, what should fund financially the needs of God's people? It is the service of generous giving. From who? The brethren who give offering. How do they give? By the grace of God. They're not forced to give. And so Apostle Paul does not say that the church should engage in business. Did he say that? I don't think that's in scriptures where the church should set up their own business practice. The needs financially of God's people must be supplied through the offerings that they present to God through Yahusha the Christ. And so if you belong to a church and the church you belong to has a business practice, I think you should you should ask the pastor, you know, what are you what are you doing to all the money that's being collected? Why do you have to have a business? Why do you need to have other sources of funding? Isn't the offering enough? Right, And so I think this calls for more transparency on the part of pastors and religious leaders, because if a church needs or feels a need to have to start a business in addition to the offering that they get, that should be a red flag and something that we need to look into. However, according to Apostle Paul, what is the warning if one is to use religion as a way to make money in the book of Timothy 6, 5 and constant arguments from people whose minds do not function and who no longer have the truth. They think that religion is a way to become rich. See, this is why it's not appropriate for a church to have a business. Why? Because they're going to use religion. And when it comes to religion, you bring up the name of who? Yahusha, right? Maybe you're called The assembly of Yahusha, and then we're going to start a business. The assembly of Yahusha is going to start a business. That's not good, right? We're involving the name of Yahusha in the business as a way to become rich. That's a misuse of the name of your religion. And it's not something that Apostle Paul teaches. In other translations of Timothy 6.5, it says this, and protracted wrangling and wearing discussion and perpetual friction among men who are corrupted in mind and bereft of the truth, who imagine that godliness or righteousness is a source of profit, a money-making business, a means of livelihood from such withdraw. So according to Apostle Paul, when you use religion and godliness or righteousness as a money-making business, Apostle Paul says that's a product of a corrupt mind from such you have to withdraw. And so we should not take advantage of people who belong to our assembly or our church because they belong to the assembly or the church. Sometimes we use the word godliness, righteousness, you know, we use those buzzwords and convince them to kind of join into a business venture. Or have a partnership where you make money out of business, that's not good. It's a product of a corrupt mind. I even heard once there was a a preacher, a pastor, some of the prosperity gospel preachers. He even said, you know, if you are not rich, you are not a true servant of God. (laughs) Have you heard that before? If you are not rich, you are not a true son or daughter of God. Because the true sons and daughters of God are rich. Is that true? Is a true son and daughter of God rich? Yeah, but in a different way. We read verse five. Let's read six to eight. Well, religion does make us very rich. If we are satisfied with what we have, what did we bring into the world? Nothing. What can we take out of the world? Nothing. So then if we have food and clothes, that should be enough for us which is why I want to ask the question again, why does the church need to have another business? What else do they want? The Bible says religion does make you rich if you're satisfied with what you have. You see, true riches comes from contentment. True religion comes from love, having enough, and that means having food and clothes. That's good enough. And this is why you should never use religion as a way to make money. Why? Because it brings a lot of danger. What kind of danger? Let's read verses 9 to 11. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and are caught in the trap of many foolish and harmful desires, which pull them down to ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a source of all kinds of evil. Some have been so eager to have it that they have wandered away from the faith and have broken their hearts with many sorrows. But you men of God, avoid all these things, strive for righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. You see, the focus of a religion, the focus of the church, must not be making money. Why? Because the love of money is what? Source of all kinds of evil. There have been many churches, because of their pursuit in riches and money, what happened to them? Their pastor gets arrested, right? Right? have you heard about that <laughs> there's many instances like that there are pastors who are filthy rich there are people who misuse religion to get rich however it's a trap it brings destruction not only physical destruction but especially spiritual destruction this is why our focus must not be to get rich what instead should be our focus at the bottom strive for righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Can you imagine you belong to a church and your focus is dabbling in all all these different businesses? That's not good. You should not be focused on that. You should be focused on the kingdom of God, preaching the words of God. Now, if it's wrong to use the church as a foundation or the church as a basis for launching different business ventures. What is even worse than that? Let's read the book of uh, John chapter 2, 13 and 16. Now the Passover of the Jews was approaching. So Yahushua went up to Jerusalem. Then he found in the temple enclosure those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers sitting there also at their stands and having made a lash, a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple enclosure, both the sheep and the oxen, spilling and scattering the, bro- the broker's money and upsetting and tossing around their trace or stands. Then to those who sold the doves, he said, Take these things away out of here. Make not my father's house a house of merchandise, a marketplace, a sale shop. You know, we know Yahushua is meek and gentle and kind, right? But there were instances when he was very aggressive and bold. Number one, when he spoke against the Pharisees. Remember the Pharisees? <laughs> what did he call the Pharisees again? Yeah, hypocrites. What else? Call them whitewashed, white-washed tombs. tombs. Pretty powerful stuff. Yahusha. He was pretty bold when it comes to preaching against the Pharisees. These were religious leaders who make themselves greater than the people they lead, right? They make themselves holier than everyone else. That's how they present themselves. They set themselves apart from the rest of the people of God. And Yahusha, oh boy, Yahusha really gave it to them hard. He was really upset. Another instance when Yahusha... Gentle Yahushua, meek Yahushua. Another instance when he was very aggressive was when? This incident right here. What happened here? It was time for the people of God to meet at the temple to worship the Father. But what were the people doing at the enclosure of the temple? They were selling oxen and sheep and doves. Money changers were there. In other words, they turned the temple of Yahuwah into a house of merchandise, a marketplace, a sales shop. Can you imagine? It's supposed to be a worship gathering. And you use that to sell your products, your items, using the congregation as a way to promote whatever it is that you are selling. Yahushua did not like that so much so he made a whip of cords and he drove them all out of the temple but you know what's even worse than that when the products is being sold by the church itself and they're using the members to sell it for them to make it for them that's slavery that yahusha is very upset with are we surprised though that there are religions today who abuse the brotherhood? Are we surprised that there are people today who use religion as a way to get rich? We're not why because Apostle Paul spoke about this long ago. What did he say? Second Timothy 3 1 and 5. Remember that there will be difficult times in the last days, people will be selfish, greedy boastful and conceited, they will be insulting, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful and irreligious, they will be unkind, merciless, slanderous, violent, and fierce, they will hate the good, they will be treacherous, reckless, and swollen with pride, they will love pleasure rather than God. they will hold to the outward form of our religion, but reject its real power, keep away from such people. Remember, a while ago, Apostle Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, he said there are people who use religion as a way to get rich, keep away from such people. He's also saying the same thing here. In the last days, what did he say? will become of people. They'll be greedy, selfish. Is that true? Yeah. And even when it comes to religion, what characterizes the religions of the world? Bible says they will hold to the outward form of Religion, but denies real power. Do you know where the real power of religion works at? In your heart, in your mind. The focus is on internal transformation so that you live a moral life, a holy life. But many religions in the world today, according to Apostle Paul, in the last days, what will be the focus of religion? Not the inward change, but the external splendor. All they want to focus on is how we can make the outside look good, nice looking places and edifices instead of focusing on the inside. The transforming power of religion is to transform you from the inside out, but many people today, they will hold on to the outward form of religion and reject its real power. This is why we're not surprised many religions today They use religion as a way to make money. We must not be like that. Apostle Paul even says, keep away from such people. So if you belong to a religion like that, obey what Apostle Paul says. Get away from that kind of religion. Get away from that church right away. Okay. All right. Let's go to the next question. Blank, a defender in our group, has a nagging question. She said uh, she was asking blank for the answers, and blank said might be a good question for the Q&A. This was her conversation with her questions. Those who believe that Yahushua is God, will they go to the LOF? What is LOF? Will they go to the Lake of Fire? So the question is if a person, for example, there's a person who believes in Yahushua, believe in Christ. Right. They have faith in Christ, but their faith in Christ, what they believe about Christ is that he is God. Does that mean this person is going to go to the lake of fire? Well, let's go ahead and look into this question. It's a very difficult question, uh, mind you. But according to the Holy Scriptures, who are going to be saved, who are going to receive salvation from the lake of fire? The book of John 3, 16, 18, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. And so according to Yahusha himself, who are the ones who will not be condemned to perish in the lake of fire? Who are they? Those who believe in Yahusha, right? Those who believe in the Christ. If one is to believe in the Christ, what is the promise of Yahusha? They will not be condemned. Instead, they will have what? Eternal life. We want eternal life. And here's Yahusha. He was teaching to the people there. He's teaching to us now by means of the gospel. He's telling us we must believe in Yahusha. Here's the question, though. What must we believe about Yahusha? In that passage are two things that we need to believe about Yahusha. What are they? Number one, that he is the only son of God. So do we believe that Yahusha is the son of God? Take note, it doesn't say there that we are to believe that Yahusha is God the son. It doesn't say that in the Bible, does it? Nowhere in the Holy Scriptures does does Yahusha ever teach that he is God. The teaching that Yahusha is God is a teaching that came after the death of the apostles. It was an invented teaching. The Trinity is not in the Bible. What is in the Bible is that Yahusha is the son of God. What Yahusha is telling us to believe is that he is not God, not God the son, but the son of God. What else must we believe concerning Yahusha? The bottom It says we are to believe in his name, right? We must believe in the name of God's one and only son. What is his name? It is Yahushua. Yahushua. What also must we believe concerning the son so that we can receive salvation? Romans 10, 9 to 11. But if you confess with your mouth, Yahushua is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be? Saved, Very clear, right? For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So Apostle Paul, in addition to what Yahusha says, there's also something we need to believe about the Son of God so that we can be saved. What is that? We need to believe that Yahusha is Lord. Right? What does that mean? He is the one who who becomes our master, the one that we must follow. We give our life to him. That's what it means that Yahusha is Lord. We accord to him absolute obedience. Yahusha is Lord. What also must we believe about the son of God, Yahusha our king? That God raised him from the dead because there are people who believe, yeah, there's a historical Yahusha, but he was just an ordinary man who died. But because of his good life and his teachings, his legacy lives on. So he was just an ordinary man who died. But no, we need to believe not only is he Lord, he also is what? He was raised back from the dead. And so what must we believe about Lord Yahusha? Number one, Yahusha is the only begotten Son of God. We must believe in his name, Yahusha, the name given to him by God. Number three, we need to believe that Yahusha is. Lord, number four, believe that Yahuwah God raised Yahusha from the dead. Do we believe all this about Yahusha? Yes. Why? Because it's biblical. Well, how about if a person believes that he that Yahusha is also God? That's not biblical, is it? What the Bible teaches us to believe about Yahusha is this. If we believe that Yahusha is God, it's no longer biblical. But this is biblical. And so he, God wants us to believe this. Now, here's my question for you. If a person will say all of these things, he will recite all of those things. Yahusha is the only son of God. I believe his name Yahusha. I believe Yahusha's is Lord. I believe God raised Yahusha from the dead. Does it mean this person is going to be saved already? <laughs> if he has this intellectual belief, he has this understanding and belief that Yahusha is all that, does that mean he's going to be saved? No. Why? You see, there are different levels to belief. What do you mean? There's the intellectual level, and there's the level of the heart, right? So the question is, when a person says, I believe in Yahushua, the question we need to ask is, what kind of belief do you have? Is it a simple intellectual belief? Like, for example, a person might say, I believe in the North Pole, that it exists. That's fine. You believe in the North Pole. But does that affect your life? Does it change the way you behave, the way you act, the way you speak, the way you think? Then that belief is not a, a belief in the heart because it doesn't change the way you think and the way you live, right? You see the different levels of belief? And so when a person says, I believe that Yahusha is the son of God, that Yahusha is Lord. Is that belief at the level of the heart? Does it change the way you live? Does it change the way you think? See, that's the kind of belief. That the Bible wants to, to teach us. This is why in Romans 10, 9 to 11, that if you confess with your mouth, Yahushua is Lord, and believe in your heart, not just with a mind, not just an intellectual understanding that you agree with, but something that changes you from the heart. How can we recognize this kind of belief? Anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Those who have a belief, Not just in the mind, but also in the heart. That's the person who will not be put to shame. So when it comes to believing in Yahushua, we need to believe with our mind. And we need to also believe with our hearts. So what kind of belief does a person have when he or she believes in the heart? James 2, 14 and 20. What good is it, my brothers? If a man claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith? I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? What kind of faith is faith from the heart? It is faith that is proven by deeds, by actions. This is why if a person believes, not just intellectually, but believes in his heart, it results in works. What kind of works? Good works based on faith and love for Yahuwah God and Yahusha HaMashiach. So the person has faith in Yahusha to the point that he obeys the teachings of Yahusha. Let's say because of his love and faith in Yahusha, he goes to a place in Africa and he gives his service. Maybe he's a doctor. And so he spends like 20 years of his life in Africa providing free service for the people who need service. Is that a good deed? Oh, doctor, why are you doing all this? Because I love Yahusha. Because I love Christ. That's why I'm doing all this. Well, who is Yahusha? He is the Son of God, but he's also God the Son. Oh boy, what do you think about that person? Is that person going to go to hell? What do you think? <laughs> Someone goes, I don't know. That's a, good, that's a good answer, right? But there's this passage in the Holy Scriptures who are going to be cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 21 verse 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderer, sexually immoral, sorcerers or drug dealers, right? sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And so according to the Holy Scriptures, who are hellbound? who are going to be cast into the lake of fire? The Bible tells us cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderous, sexually immoral, sorcerers, and idolaters. If a person believes... That Yahushua is also God, does that make him an idolater? Maybe at some level, right? Maybe at some intellectual level, he becomes what? Guilty of idolatry, right? But is it at the same level as one who sacrifices a person to Molech or Baal? Probably not, Right? And this is something I want you to think about. What kind of idolatry do those who believe that Yahusha is God practice? Is it intellectual idolatry or idolatry in the heart? What do you think? I would think it's intellectual idolatry. They made an error, they made a mistake about what to believe concerning Yahusha. However, in the name of Yahusha, in the name of the Christ, what do they do? Good works based on faith and love for the Christ. And so here's a question I want to ask you. What weighs more in the scale of God? If there was like a, a scale in heaven that kind of weighs good things and bad things, what do you think weighs more in God's scale? Intellectual error of believing that Yahusha is God or good works based on faith and love for Yahushua. What do you think weighs more? <laughs> works? Is it the intellectual error? Because there are people who might say, you know, you don't believe that Yahushua God. are you going to go to hell? You know, if I were to ask, if I were to answer this question, I would say what weighs more would be the good works? That's just my personal opinion. Just my personal opinion, Right. I mean, if this person believes in Yahushua, let's even say that he so, he, he believes his name is Jesus. You know, um, we'll we'll even go that that way. But this person really loves Jesus to the point that he or she sacrifices so much in service to to humanity because of his faith and love for Jesus. Maybe that will weigh more as far as God's concerned. But. We don't have to make that decision. (laughs) Aren't you glad you don't have to make that call? We don't have to. And the thing is, we're not supposed to. This is what Apostle Paul says. You then, why do you judge your brother? Why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God, so according to apostle Paul, don't worry about it. That's not your decision to make. Whose decision is going to who's going to make that decision? Yeah, God, we're going to face a judgment seat of God. Not only that, we're going to also face the judgment seat of Christ. So we make it our goal to please him whether we are at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive what is due him for the things done while while in the body, whether good or bad. Brethren, we have no business judging one another and saying to one another, you're going to be saved. You're not going to be saved. I'm going to be saved, but not you. We have no business doing that. We're going to all face the judgment seat of Christ. And so what should be our goal? Not to judge others, but to please who? Yahusha. That's our goal. Please God. Please Yahushua. Don't worry about others because what we need to focus on is pleasing our God. Okay? All right. Let's do one more question. The question is, what is the meaning of tribulations? Are we in a tribulation right now? Okay? So that's the question. So what is tribulation? Well, in the book of Acts 14, 21, 22, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So according to the apostles, when they were visiting the brethren, they strengthened their faith and exhorted them continue in the faith because we're going to go through many tribulations. You see, in our way to the kingdom of God, we cannot avoid tribulations. So if we are on our way to the kingdom of God, we have to pass through the lane called tribulation, right? It's the highway of tribulation. We have to go through it. So tribulations, they're part of our calling. So what does it mean, the word tribulation? In the Greek, it's uh, philipsis, Greek word two, three, four, seven, which means what? Affliction, trouble, anguish, persecution, afflicted. Uh, another biblical usage is oppression, affliction, tribulation, distress, right? And so these are the things that we have to go through anguish, oppression, persecution. Why are we not surprised that we go through tribulation? The book of John 15, 18, and 21. If the world hates you, You know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me so according to yahusha himself what are some of the tribulations that we have to endure hatred and persecution from the world and so if we decide to be a follower of yahusha what does he tell us he says if they persecuted me the master they will persecute you as well the disciple and so if we accept yahusha as lord we must accept the entire package. We have to also accept what goes after, what comes after, those who accept Yahushua as their Lord. It means we're going to be persecuted and hated. Not only that, but also must we be prepared to experience. 1 Peter 4, 12-14, dear friends, do not be surprised. At the painful trial, you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you will be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So according to Yahushua himself, we will be hated. We will be, what was that again? Hated. What's number two? Persecuted. According to Apostle Peter, we will go through trials and sufferings and insults. All of this, is part of our participation in the sufferings of Yahusha. And so we should not be surprised that we go through tribulation. Suffering, testing, trial, insult, oppression, persecution, hatred, all that is under the umbrella of tribulation. Distress, we're going to go through that because of the name of Yahusha because we are followers of Yahusha. So to answer the question, What are tribulations? Distress. Are we in it now? Yes, we were in it ever since we decided to be followers of Yahusha. However, there's a difference between tribulations and the great tribulation. It's when you take it to a different level exponentially. Yes, we're going through tribulations now, but I don't believe we are yet in the great tribulation. Because when we are in the great tribulation... You will definitely know. Yes. Why do we say that? And when will this great tribulation be? Why do we believe we're not yet in the great tribulation? We're in tribulations, yes, but not yet at that level called the great tribulation. Well, this is what Yahusha says. I want you to read Matthew 24 uh, tonight if you can, because Yahusha tells us in advance what is to come. He begins in 1 to 2. Yahusha went out and departed from the temple And his disciples came up to him showing, uh, to show him the building, the buildings of the temple. And Yahushua said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. So Yahushua is telling them what's going to happen in the immediate future. Okay, the immediate future. What will happen in the immediate future? Yahushua says, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. He he was referring to the buildings of the temple. So what was Yahushua saying to his disciples? He said, this temple that you see right now, soon it's all going to be gone. Left in rubble, complete rubble. However, he doesn't finish in verses 1 to 2. He keeps going. Uh, Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So, Yahushua says, as soon as he's gone, the first thing's going to happen is the, the temple will be destroyed, right? And when was that fulfilled? If you still remember, when was the temple completely destroyed? 70 AD, remember? 70 AD, it was completely destroyed. But that was not the sign of the end of the age. And so his disciples are now asking, okay, when you're, you're going to leave, Temple's going to be destroyed, but you're going to come back. So what are the signs of your coming, of the end of the age? So Yahushua keeps going, verse 4 to 8. And Yahushua answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. It's going to be deception. And you will hear of wars and rumors of war, see that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. And so after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, which would happen soon after Yahushua goes to heaven, before he comes back to earth, what will happen first? Nation will rise against nation. Wars, rumors of wars. This was fulfilled 1914 and 19. When was World War Number Two? 39. Yeah, that was a long time ago, right? Soon after the wars, what also will happen? Famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places, and then Yehusha says, "It's just the beginning. <laughs> it's just the beginning." of sorrows because what else is going to happen what are some of the signs that would signal the arrival or the coming back of Yahushua 9 to 13 and they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake and then many will be offended will betray one another and will hate one another then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures the end shall be saved. So after the wars and rumors of wars and the beginning of sorrows, what will happen next? It's the, the uh, there's always going to be a deception. There's always going to be false prophets, beginning, middle, end. Always going to be false prophets. You notice that there's always false prophets and deceive de- deception. But what is not worthy here? is the lawlessness will abound and the love of many will grow cold. And this is also what we witness today. What else? The book of Matthew 24:14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. So what else is the sign that signal the second advent of Yahusha our king? Bible says the gospel will be preached and serve as a witness to all the nations is that happening now you know because of a powerful instrument today that did not exist back then this is really really plausible what is that what do we have today that the apostles never had could never we have social media we have the internet right the internet is making the gospel Available to all the nations to serve as a witness. What does that tell you? We are living at the time when the end is going to come very, very soon. However, we're not yet at the Great Tribulation. What has to happen first before that Great Tribulation? Let's read 15. Remember, we're going through this sequentially. Let's go now 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by, the, by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. Whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is in the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath for then there will be what does it say great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time no nor shall ever nor ever shall be and so after these sequential events wars and rumors of wars famines earthquakes in various places the love of the love for many will grow cold and then the advancement of the gospel spread throughout the world. After that, what's going to happen next? Bible says there's going to be a great tribulation. But before that great tribulation happens, something precedes it. Yahushua says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads Let him understand. Yahushua is telling us something's about to happen that hasn't happened yet. What is that? What Daniel prophesied because Yahushua is quoting Daniel. He says when the abomination of desolation that Daniel spoke about is standing in the holy place. Whoever reads, let him understand. And so as we read this passage, what should we understand? Well, Yahusha says, when you see the abomination of desolation, standing in the holy place. What is that holy place? What is that? The temple. <laughs> what does that mean? Didn't Yahusha say the temple is going to be destroyed? Yeah, apparently it has to be rebuilt. The third temple will be rebuilt and it will be desecrated. The abomination of desolation will stand in the holy place according to the prophet Daniel. When that happens, Yahushua says, great tribulation will come. Such has not been since the beginning of the world until this time is going to be bad. If you think now is bad, you haven't seen anything yet. In fact, it's so bad, according to Yahusha, we read 20, uh, 21, 22 to 23, and unless those days are shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened, that if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there, do not believe it. So according to Yahushua, this great tribulation will make our present tribulations look weak by comparison. It's going to be so bad. But if the days are not shortened, what would happen to flesh, to all flesh, to all human beings? None of them would make it, right? It's that bad. Well, when is it going to take place? After the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet is standing on the holy place. Well, what was that that was spoken of by Daniel? In Daniel 9.27, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven in the middle of the seven He will put an end to sacrifice and offering and on a wing of the temple. He will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. This is what Daniel was talking about. He's speaking about an event, right? The last seven. Remember the last seven? This is the last seven years in the middle of the seventh of the last seven years, which is 3.5 years. What's gonna happen? That's when the abomination that causes desolation will be set up in the temple. And that's what Yahusha is talking about. So it's gonna happen sometime in the future. And when that happens, the great tribulation will be brought in. However, you know, because the Bible is all about pattern, this pattern of an antichrist. This pattern of someone who will desecrate the temple and bring abomination that causes desolation, it has already happened before. How so? Who became the first fulfillment of this prophecy of Daniel? But not to the extent that it goes all the way because the full extent of this prophecy will take place at the the last seven, the end of days. But even before that, what was the initial fulfillment? From GodQuestions.org, there's a person named Antiochus Epiphanes. How many here are familiar with Antiochus Epiphanes? Nobody here? Yeah, he's a very strange king, but he lived during uh, from 175 BC until 164 BC. He was like the king. He was a Greek king of the Seleucid Empire who reigned over Syria <laughs> from 175 BC until 164 BC. I want to pause it for a while. It's BC. Was Yahusha born already? No. no, this is before Yahusha, right? This is before Yahusha came into the scene. He is famous, this guy Antiochus Epiphanes, he is famous for almost conquering Egypt and most of all, like Hitler, for his brutal persecution of the Jews. His objective was to exterminate the Jews. You see, Satan doesn't want the Jews to survive. This is why ever since the captivity, the there's been one attack after the other of trying to exterminate the Jews. And Antiochus Epiphanes was one of the first ones to do that. And uh, so he was he was known for the brutal persecution of the Jews, which precipitated the Maccabean revolt. Antiochus Epiphanes was a ruthless and often capricious ruler. He is properly Antiochus the but he took upon himself the title Epiphanes. <laughs> which means illustrious one or god manifest however his bizarre and blasphemous behavior earned him another nickname among the jews epimenes which means mad one maybe this is where they got the mad king persona from game of thrones he was a mad king you know how mad he was because of his brutal persecution of the jews Well, let's keep reading. In an act of brazen disrespect, Antiochus raided the temple in Jerusalem, stealing its treasures, setting up an altar to Zeus, and sacrificing swine on the altar. Can you imagine the blasphemy, right? Can you imagine the uproar that the Jewish people went through because of this desecration? When the Jews expressed their outrage over the profaning of the temple, Antiochus responded by slaughtering a great number of the Jews and selling others into slavery. He issued even more draconian decrees. Performing the rite of circumcision was punishable by death. And Jews everywhere were ordered to sacrifice to pagan gods and eat pig flesh. Imagine that. That's Antiochus Epiphanes. He was the first one to, to follow the pattern of the Antichrist. But you know, eventually there was a an uprising, a Jewish revolt, and they were successful. And because of their success, it was celebrated as a holiday. Now it's called Hanukkah, that's where Hanukkah comes from, because they were able to revolt against Antiochus. However, this desecration of the temple is going to happen again, <laughs> because Yahusha says. Because Yahusha, remember, came into the scene after this event with Antiochus Epiphanes. Yahushua says the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel is going to happen. And when it happens, there's going to be a great tribulation. And when will it happen? In the middle of the seven. At the end of days. And immediately after the tribulation, because we know when... This Antichrist, this beast, who is a form of Antiochus Epiphanes. This is why I believe if you want to identify the identity of this person in the future, who will destroy the temple or who will desecrate the temple, not destroy it. You cannot desecrate the temple if you've destroyed it. To desecrate means, you know, sacrifice like swine on the altar. And so apparently it's going to be set up, right? And when that's set up and it's desecrated, that's the beginning of that great tribulation that Yahushua was talking about. And after the great tribulation, what does Yahushua say will happen? 29, 31, immediately after the tribulation of those days. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels for the great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together, his elect, from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. And so after the tribulation there's going to be a cataclysm, supernatural cataclysm. Because remember, the tribulation that Yahushua was talking about, the great tribulation, you will know it's there. What we're going through right now, pandemic, loss of jobs, violence, that's nothing, nothing compared to the great tribulation, brethren. (laughs) The great tribulation is going to be, wow, wow. And after the great tribulation, Yahushua says, He will come and he will gather his elect together with him. Brethren, the events happening today, this year, maybe next year, is a prelude. It's gonna get worse, and then it's gonna go, and then it's gonna get exponentially worse. But the trend is worse and worse. We are in the end times. The end of all things is at hand. So what should we do now that we know that the end of all things is at hand? Let's read the final passage of our studies, 1 Peter 4, 7, 8. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Brethren, brethren. Bible says the end of all things is near, right? Do you believe that? It's very near. I mean, the temple is being prepared already. The red heifer is already prepared, right? Everything's kind of falling into place. Very near. Because once that day comes, you cannot reverse it at all. And so what do we need to do to prepare for that? Bible says be serious and watchful in your prayers. But above all, what must we do? We must have what? Fervent love. What is fervent love? It's a kind of love that's not ordinary. What is ordinary love? When you love those who do good to you. But if you can love even those who persecute and oppress you and pray for them, then nonetheless, what do you call that? That's fervent love. The Bible says fervent love will cover a multitude of sins. None of us are perfect, brethren. But if we have fervent love, we have perfect love. If we're able to love even our enemies, that goes a long way. This is why, brethren, if we are preparing for the end of all things, let's begin by practicing fervent love with each other and even with those who despise us. And even those who persecute us. Because when we do that, we're prepared for the return of our King, Yahusha Hamashiach. Let us stand, brethren, and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father, yes, Yahuwah Almighty. Amen. Thank you for the wisdom of your book. Yes. Father. Your words indeed is a light and a lamp. We learn so much from your teachings. We store them deep in our hearts. And we will live by them. We will live by your wisdom. May you transform our hearts so that we will hold not on the outward form of religion, but be changed by its transforming power. The power of your words that will help us to become like you. especially in manifesting fervent love. Bless the assembly of Yahushua. Thank you for blessing us with success, triumph, one after the other. Thank you for giving us so many blessings. We return all praise and glory to you. But we know we have much work to do. Help us in sharing our faith. Help us to be bold in proclaiming you and your name. And the name of your beloved son, Yahushua, our King, we confess your name. Yes. That you are our Lord. You were raised by Yahuwah Abba. Yes. So that you can be Mashiach. King of kings and Lord of lords, we worship you, our loving Messiah. May you be with us as we prepare for your return. Help us to practice true love that you taught us, to love even our enemies. Please be with us in everything we do and prepare us for the year ahead. Father, help us to overcome persecution, to overcome tribulation, and to be filled with your Holy Spirit. We also ask, loving Abba, May you heal those who are sick among us. Yes. And may you continuously strengthen our faith. Amen. Forgive, please, our sins, O Father. Yes. For we ask everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Amen. Amen.